minds with the chip inside Like a link and digitized out Which prior to this was higher than science could ever devise This is a neural interface We're gonna stick it in your face Still it in your brain and interlace There's an arms war on and we're gonna win the race Leave everything a race, bring the base Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of hackers, developers, lock sporters, and take a closer look at the tech and tools being developed by this community. Joining us on this program tonight, Sidek Nerd, a veteran of InfoSec and the organizer of San Antonio, Texas B-Sides. Cooper Assistant Madman, who lives open source solutions, and Pinky, a PhD candidate specializing in network security, and the team captain of UTSA's CCDC team. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousThings.com. And also, if you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of the Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at DangerousMinds.io and or email us at info at DangerousMinds.io. And we will be glad to talk to you about it. This week on Dangerous Minds Podcast, we have Johnny Christmas. Hey, thanks very much for joining us today. Hey, no problem, guys. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. And could you start out maybe by telling us a little bit about yourself and what hacking, cracking, and cybersecurity means to you and your own grind, as it were? Oh, that's a gigantic question. Um, so uh, I come from the scene way back in the day, I want to say late eighties, early nineties is when I really started joining up with any kind of community for the hacking and the cracking. Uh, and, and it's, uh, I really like that you phrase the question that way because, um, way back in the day, uh, there was uh, very like hard lines between the hackers and the crackers, uh, to the point where the hackers were like the super elite, uh, uh, guys were that you didn't mess with and if you yourself ever claimed to be a hacker um you were instantly taken down all of your accounts were hacked your life was destroyed kind of situation uh to sum it up uh you, nobody actually claimed to be a hacker because to make that claim um was profound it was it was lofty and it wasn't something that you did lightly uh versus today where um and it's perfectly fine in my mind where everyone can claim to be a hacker because we all do hack things. You know, if, if you're hacking as a hobby, right. then, then, then that's your jam. Uh, you know, hacking doesn't mean that you know everything about everything and know how to break into whatever you want and rob banks and such anymore. Now it means, uh, hey, I like to put LEDs under my skin even. You right. know, hacking's gotten such a wide range, a, a wide definition now. Uh, versus back in the day, whereas like the crackers were the people who primarily focused their time on uh, uh, cracking software, uh, writing key gens uh, and things like that, or just bypassing security uh, measures inside of software itself. You'll put, I'm sure you all remember getting cracked versions of video games or software or downloading key uh, gens. I'm sorry, or, I don't know I'm what sorry, the heck uh, you're talking uh, about. Hearing, noticing <laughs> other people mentioning downloading of of key gens like that, that was the crackers and that was considered like very low level because uh, you were just using soft ice and throwing an executable at it and then just digging around looking for the in and out points and then ready like that was that was that was chump work and so the crackers were were those guys um whereas now like cracking i think the the, 
where we most often hear the word cracking is uh, in relation to hashes, specifically password hashes these days. And that's, it's not even a thing. It's not even a type of person really anymore. It's just another thing that puts you into the hacker box. Like it's another thing that hackers do. I don't think we use the word cracker much anymore to describe a specific individual in the technological sense. And uh, uh, yeah, what was the, oh, and then cybersecurity, that, that's such a new thing. Like that's like, hasn't really even been a word for the most part until I want to say the target breach in what was that late 2012, I think mm-hmm. um, that target breach. That was like, that was like our, our uh, September 11th. That was when everything right. changed for, for our world. And that was when we were able to really migrate from even those of us who are already working in the cybersecurity realm migrate from just, you know, being chumps who were looking at logs and try and pleading desperately to get people to change things in our environments to now becoming respected professionals, uh, not only in our workplace, but in, in our community or even being able to really develop a huge external community like we have versus before that we were just, some guys who said no a lot and told you what you can't do and that nobody listened to because who, who wants to listen to the guy who just tells you no all the time and doesn't really have any like real world data to back up why they're telling you no on anything. Um, so yeah, really cool terms you picked for that question because like you can go and go really deep on each of those and they're very different. Well, and it's, it's really so about your history and your experience because you, you have more than a couple of years, right? I mean, you've, Basically, uh, you, you are a career hacker uh, from the point of view of anyone who does cybersecurity. In reality, we're not just talking about the, the version of you that you share with us that, that had the awesome uh, cat-like headphones. We're, we're talking about you, the person, because there is something about you that, because just like you're talking about in the gray beard references, or the, you know, the, the idea of sharing yourself versus the exclusivity, right? Because back in the 80s, there was a serious sense of uh, you aren't elite enough. And in the serious sense of elite enough to be connected to the community, you weren't, a lot of times it was about other folks being smarter and, and it was very difficult to gain access where now it seems like the feeling is we don't have enough hands and there are those who really want to see others grow. And you are someone who helps with mentoring people like with B-Sides Las Vegas, right? You help with their mentoring program to try and help groom new presenters and bring people up in the community. Could you talk about that for a minute? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's, it's another, again, another great way of putting that is I would say I'm, I'm a lifetime hacker um, and a career cybersecurity guy. Uh, I've, I've been doing hacking for Jesus far back as I you know, can remember. Like I remember getting um, God, I had an old Magnavox Odyssey video game system in the early eighties that my dad had brought home. And I remember um, just reading the manual when I was six or seven and just like writing, you know, my first computer program, my little hello world thing and just blowing my mind that I can take this computer thing and make it do something that I told it. Um, and it was all downhill from there. Uh, whereas like cybersecurity as a career uh, and as a you know profession is, again, like I was saying, more of a recent thing that's come up. And we are absolutely desperate for warm bodies, uh, people to put in these chairs and get to work. And um, 
we've got this disconnect, this this huge gap between the people who are hackers, who are really into hacking, who are really into the concepts of information security. There are actually a lot of people who are into the defensive side of things and stopping hackers, even though that doesn't seem like the cool thing to do. Um, and there's a professional gap between them and where we need them to be uh, to be able to put them to work, um, especially since they're up until extremely recently, there's no formal training for that. Uh, and, and so that's what I'm trying to do is take these people who have maybe been on the, the edges of society, the basement nerds, uh, of, of which that's all totally me. I'm not being disparaging towards anybody. Um, and, and, and say, hey, here are the edges of yourself that you need to refine in order to be able to function inside of a corporate environment. Um, and yeah, it sucks. Um, corporate environments are everything that the stereotypes make them sound like right down to the, you know, some places are still shirt and tie, the terrible fluorescent lights, the cubicles. Um, it, it can be awful, but it also is really fun to be able to work with a team of people. It's fun to be able to have your ideas recognized and acted on. It's fun to be respected and say, Hey, here's a thing that needs to change. Uh, here's why it needs to change. And you believe that I'm right because you you respect my 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 experience uh, in this profession, um, and and so it's it's kind of like this game you have to play where you're migrating from being the basement hacker to the shirt and tie cubicle monkey, um, and a lot of people are just naturally and understandably resistant to that, um, or they're not even resistant to it. They just have never been in that situation before. Uh, I know a lot of us. Uh, me, myself, uh, we come from uh, very blue collar backgrounds. You know, a lot of us are uh, into mechanical things. You know, I, I, I have been trying, you know, kicking around putting together a talk on just motorcycle hacking for the longest time. You know, I, I know so many of us grew up with a socket wrench in one hand and a, and a hammer in the other. Uh, and now to be able to migrate into that corporate environment where your only tool is your keyboard uh, and the words that you use. Um, that's a huge gap. And so that's what I really where I try to focus on helping people is taking them and going like, yeah, what you're doing now is cool. And where you come from is super cool. And I'm super into it. And you're totally right. And nobody's trying to invalidate that. Nobody's trying to say like, hey, you're not going to fit in here. Uh, we don't want you here. Get out. Um, it's just that there's a huge leap you're trying to make into a completely different world. And we do need you there. We really do need you there. But there's a method of communication that they need. There's a method of presentation they need. And it's not because there's anything wrong with you. Uh, it's just a completely different world. And so I'm trying to try, kind of train people and help them to understand that and kind of soften those rough edges that we all have and uh, give them the communication tools they need and the presentation they need to be able to get into these jobs because we really really do need them here. It's just, unfortunately, the people who are hiring in the, them into those positions don't, uh, and at, this, at the same time, don't understand everything on the other side of the gap as well. So just trying to bridge that gap is what I'm up to. So along those lines, rather than thinking more from an employer's perspective, can you maybe tell us more about the InfoSec community in the Chicago area, and specifically like the mission and origin of BurpSec? <laughs> I absolutely love that Burbsec has gotten to be like, gotten like the national recognition that it has because we have not done anything to try and promote that whatsoever other than be like, hey, if you're in Chicago, 
come check out a verb sec. Uh, and that, that came from, um, let's see, gosh, this was so long ago. Uh, and I was not even one of the founding members of VerbSec, even though I'm often credited as that. Uh, I joined up, I want to say, about a year after it started rolling. But it started as um, a uh, just another information security slash engineer meetup. Um, there was a great one in the city called ShySec, as in Chicago Sec. But a lot of the people who work in downtown Chicago live way out in the suburbs, as is the case for most metropolitan areas. Uh, and so somebody, uh, Sec Barbie, actually had the idea of why don't we start our own shy sec, but way out in the burbs. And so she called it Burb Sec and got a few people on board. Uh, and it was great because a lot of like who doesn't like hanging out and talking about stuff that they really like with other people who really like those things too. Like that's just what we like as people. It doesn't matter if you're into you know basket weaving. Uh, if you're really into it and you find other people who are into basket weaving, it's really fun to just nerd out about basket weaving. And that was the, the core purpose of it. Uh, and, and a big part of the framework is, is uh, the minimalism of it and the enforced minimalism of it, which is we don't, uh, we don't allow salespeople to come in and give presentations uh, and talk about their products. We don't allow them to even give sales pitches one-on-one -on -one to anybody unless it's, you know, solicited. Uh, we don't uh, have people come in and give presentations on something that they're working on, uh, even if it's interesting. Like we, we try to keep it very much come into this room and hang out and talk. And we don't, we don't want anything interrupting everyone's ability to hang out and talk with each other. We, we very much foster uh, interpersonal communication at BurbSec. Um, you know, we pro provide beer and food, uh, or at least the venue does. We make sure we have a venue that has beer and food and, uh, a quiet, you know, the, the ambient volume is quiet enough to talk, uh, and everything else just takes care of itself. Because like I said, it's just getting a bunch of people who like the same thing together and letting them talk. And, you know, a lot of times that same thing is just complaining about work. And so oftentimes I, when I'm trying to get new people to come to Burbsack, I say, Hey, the only requirement is that you show up. And uh, you talk to people, uh, and uh, the, the the colloquial version of that is like, come have a beer and complain about work and go home, and that's it. Because everybody's really worried about coming to these information security meetups and saying, well, I don't, I don't really know much about it. I'm, I'm just getting into it. I don't work in the field. Um, I just started going to school for it. These are all things I hear when I try to get people to come to Burbsec, um, because we as human beings are just the best at just stepping on our own feet and talking ourselves out of things. And I say, Hey, you know what? Some of the people, a significant portion of the people who come to the BurbSec meetups don't work in information security. Um, some of them are just sysadmins. Um, some of them uh, don't work an IT job at all, but are hackers on the side and like to just be able to hang out with other hackers once in a while. Uh, and so we, all we try to do with BurbSec is just foster that environment. And it, it has worked so well that we've spawned four BurbSec meetups now, one of which has ended up back in the city of Chicago, making the BurbSec name really silly. That's um, funny. We, yeah, <laughs> that's the one that, that I run actually out here um, because I moved into the city and I missed going to BurbSec. And so I was like, Wait, you know what? Why don't we just have one by me? Because uh, ShySec wasn't a, uh, like a monthly thing. It was maybe quarterly at best. Sometimes oh, wow. not even that. And I was like, let's get, 
yeah. And that, and that was, I said, let's, let's, let's get something else. Let's get a burb sick out here. Cause there were other information security meetups. And if you live in any, again, any metropolitan area, there's, you probably got 40 of them a month. You could find on meetup.com or Eventbrite or whatever. Um, but you go to these and most of them are, they're just, they'll have five vendors giving five presentations about their product or something they do. And it's very dry and bland and everyone has to shit up, shut up and face forward and <laughs> listen to the person who's talking. And then there's, you get uh, 20 minutes of uh, networking time then if you're lucky. And it's like, why did I come out all, come all the way out here to listen to something that may even be remedial for me or listen to some vendor garbage when I'm trying to network, like I'm coming to these meetups to network. Uh, and, and so that was, that's, was the big thing behind us making BurbSec the way it was and saying, no, we're not doing presentations. We're not doing anything that interferes with people being able to just hang out and talk with each other. And it turns out that that just leave it alone was the best, <laughs> the best way to, to, to get a really good meetup going. Uh, and so it's exploded in the Chicago area. Everybody, uh, uh, loves Burbsec who's who's come to you know I we get so many repeat people there we have people who've been coming for seven eight years like a lot of people who have been coming that long and that's really cool uh, and when I go to other cities when I do podcasts like people ask hey tell us about Burbsec like how how do you even know what Burbsec is it's just a bunch of people hanging out in a room over here. But, but it's the Twitters. Everybody guys, loves it so much. Everybody loves it, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's just that word of mouth gets out there, and it's just amazing. That's something that is literally, it's very little work. Um, and and it, it, it's there. there is some work up front, but once you get the ball rolling, it very much manages itself. It's, it's decentralized management. Every one of the Burbsec meetups has two to three people who run it. So if one person's out of town, it's not an issue. Um, and we just, we've all become really good friends and we love running these and we love hanging out and drinking beer and complaining about work. So you're and talking then, about, you know, of course, helping people <laughs> go on. You were talking about warm bodies just a moment ago and, um, you know, not really knowing the HR firewall. So my question is, you know, you're from Chicago area. Uh, okay. we're, we're from like the San Antonio Austin area. I-35 corridor, our needs yeah. for trying to break into, you know, cybersecurity versus like regular IT uh, uh, support, what have you, is often enough you know, reverse engineering, pen testing, um, coders that uh, specialize in like C, C++, Python, Ruby, assembly. Mm -hmm. what, what are the needs in your area? Um, what do you suggest somebody that's just hankering <laughs> to get in um, what skills would you suggest they get to be able to get their toe through the door and not get it lopped off by HR? Yeah, sure. Um, that's, that's the perennial question. Uh, what I see out here, and I was, I was just talking to somebody uh, who had just moved into Chicago about this. Chicago is uh, a very, we don't produce a lot. We don't create a lot. It's not an R and D city. It's not a, a creative city. Uh, it, uh, the amazing music scene aside, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, gosh, I don't know the words for it, but here pretty much the, to answer your question is we need analysts. Um, the way you get your foot in the door here is becoming uh, an analyst, usually a junior analyst. And those are the people who are your, 
uh, your tier one guys, your guys who are watching the SEM, just watching all the logs scroll by their eyeballs. They're sitting in the fish bowls. Uh, and they're the ones who are tuning the SEMs. They're the ones who are writing the rules and tweaking everything and getting rid of the noise and getting rid of the false positives. Um, that's how you get your foot in the door here. And um, I'd imagine that's the same most anywhere. Uh, every large organization uh, has a need for that. Uh, a lot of them do use MSSPs. And so you may not necessarily be getting that job at a company directly. You may be working for an MSSP such as you know, trust wave, uh, secure works, you know, one of those, uh, not to, not to endorse any of those. Um, and so the, the skills that I see that people are missing, uh, and, the, and if we're talking strictly technical skills here, uh, the, the reason why I see people who show up and they go, Hey, I'm really into this. I'd like to get a job here, but I just can't. Um, it's because they, uh, and even if they're learning, it's because they're learning things like uh, attack vectors and specific types of attacks. Uh, they're learning a lot of offensive things because I think it's it's easier to learn offensive uh, offensive things on your own uh, versus defensive because you just don't have the environment in your house or even possibly at your school to get a real handle on what even a junior analyst is going to see day to day defensively. Uh, you just don't have that traffic coming through. Um, and so they're they're learning all of these information security philosophies and these uh, computer hacking philosophies and techniques and offensive techniques. And they may even uh, understand generally how they work, but where I'm seeing the disconnect happening is they're not learning all of the computer basics that they need to understand uh, what, you know, why a false positive would, would look like a malicious attack, even though it's really just a computer doing something odd uh, you know why is that computer doing something odd what is the odd thing is doing and, and why is it doing that odd thing and why does it look like an attack uh, and that comes from uh, people kind of jumping the gun I think and saying like hey information security is huge I want to get into information security um, it sounds cool to me there's a lot of money so I'm going to start learning it and they're treating it as a standalone skill set uh, or career, not career, a standalone skill set. And it's not, um, information security is, uh, you know, they, they would say like a good IT guy uh, knows uh, everything an inch deep and a mile wide. You know, a good IT sysadmin knows a ton of stuff about it, uh, uh, knows a little bit about a ton of stuff. Um, knows a little bit about uh, database administration, knows a little bit about Unix administration, knows a little bit about Windows administration. And I mean a little bit uh, in comparison to IT as a whole, not in comparison to the average person, because the average sysadmin actually does know quite a bit about quite a bit of things. Um, but if we say that the that a good IT admin know is inch deep, mile wide, the good InfoSec guy is mile deep, mile wide. And you really get that from having a lot of experience in the generally non-infosec IT realms. Like a really good infosec guy is going to have a few years of sysadmin under his belt. Is going to, you know, maybe have a couple years of DBA under his belt. Uh, a, good, uh, a, a good infosec person, uh, she's going to have um, a ton of networking experience. Like these, I, the, the complaint du jour that I've been hearing, and I, this is like the past two weeks, and I don't know where it came from, and I'm sure it's maybe, uh, Leslie Carhart 
or somebody started the, the complaint wagon rolling, but we're, there's, there's this um, complete lack of TCP IP knowledge. And I don't mean, even mean networking like switches and routers. I mean like the core TCP now IP knowledge you need to just understand um, how computers and I guess everything's computers now, how computers yeah. communicate and being able to look at that communication and traffic and weed out false positives and weed out configuration errors and also understand why the attacks you're using work and how to create new attacks and why your attack might not be working. To be able to pull up Wireshark and take a look at what's going on uh, and be able to make some some definite decisions based on the information you see. Um, these people, they're, they're, they don't know... Uh, the purpose of HTTP headers, um, like an in interview, is I'll ask them name name five common HTTP headers and tell me in three sentences what you should them do. Something like that, and it's, this is just not inside of anybody's wheelhouse. I find who's trying to get into information security, and this is critical, critical base knowledge. And I think it's because you know, like I'm saying, information security that's a that's not really like a as I see it, and this is totally my opinion, it's it's hard to make it a foot in the door career, like just out of school or, you know, I'm 20 years old trying to get my first job and I want to be, you know, a blue team analyst. It's like you're, you, you really, really need to have a solid foundation in computer communications because that's what you're doing. You're looking at computer communications and you're identifying, identifying attacks and you're identifying vulnerabilities inside of the way that computers are communicating. And if you don't understand how these computers communicate, um, you're, there's no way that you can do a job properly that requires that information. That's, and that's the bottom line. And I'm just not seeing that in people. That's one of those things that it, it seems uh, to be a, a never-ending struggle because there are these skill sets just like you're saying that don't they don't just show up out of thin air uh the how do you get started thing because uh hacks for pancakes aka leslie has a fantastic section on her own uh blog on the tizaphone.net blog that talks about how to get started but uh, i want to actually shift a little bit and ask what do you think the biggest struggle corporations and maybe even governments are having today in keeping their customers or citizens safe in today's digital world i mean you know what i'm asking uh because it, 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 it varies, right? I mean, we've got a huge range of topic in there. But what is the challenge? Where, where do you see, uh, either experientially or anecdotally, see that happening? Oh, that's, I mean, that's an easy one. Uh, that's, it's phishing. It is, it is uh, pardon my French, people clicking shit. Um, there's, there's, I can't imagine there's anyone who would argue with that. You Not can patch your vulnerabilities all day, but uh, it's it's user awareness, and this is this is something. And I'm actually have been talking on and off. Uh, I'm doing a white paper with a psychologist, uh, doctor psychology friend of mine, um, because we are that very much is crossing the line between information security, between IT, between computers communicating, and uh, actual human psychology. We're not talking about computers here anymore. We're talking about people. And you're trying to get information security people, you know, these cybersecurity nerds, uh, of which I'm one, uh, to try to get human beings to change the way that they operate. Uh, and and it's, it's not going well. Um, 
and it's because you have uh, you we as people we as employees of a corporation say you know I'm an accountant for corporation X um, I don't if corporation X goes under I'll go get a new job as an accountant somewhere else um, I don't have a vested personal interest in the success of corporation X even the computer I have at my desk at corporation X is not my computer some weird work computer. Um, most of us as human beings just have a general disdain for our job because it's the thing we have to do that's boring and we don't like a lot of parts of it. Um, and that's, I mean, that's work. That's why we get paid to do them. If they were fun every day and oh, and we couldn't wait to go back to work every day, we wouldn't be paid for it. Uh, and, and so it, we don't take ownership of what's going on there. We don't like it, it, when you're looking at your Gmail and I don't mean you guys or me, but I'm talking about the average person. When they look at their Gmail uh, on their own personal laptop, they know, a lot of them know these days, like, oh, watch out for, you know, suspicious looking emails, watch out for suspicious links, watch what you click on. Um, I've noticed that a lot of people drop that vigilance when they're on their work computer because they just, they don't care that much because it's not their stuff. It's not their identity being stolen. Uh, and it's not an active, conscious thing that they think of, like, ah, let's click it and see what happens anyway. It's not my stuff. Uh, it, it, it's not necessarily a malicious mentality on their end. It's just, it's a, it's a different part of, of our brain. It's a different part of our psychology. It's not us. It's not, it's not personal to us. And that's a big part of the problem. And you're asking cybersecurity professionals to solve a psychological problem. And we're just floundering in the water. Like, you could... You could call up every individual of the company and go, hey, quit clicking shit. And, uh, and you'll get a bunch of different responses. Isn't there but, actually a shirt um, for don't so. click like DCS? Isn't there a shirt for that? Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's why I use the phrase. It's, a, it's, it's our phrase. Stop clicking shit. Don't click shit. And uh, to the point where like, it's such a huge problem that we've made T-shirts apparently. And it's, it's it's not working and it's because people don't care and it's because it's a psychological ownership problem. It's not, you know, you can't, you can't patch it. The old phrase, uh, there's no patch for human stupidity. I am, I'm a huge opponent of, of calling, of saying, well, users are stupid and there's nothing you can do about, you can do about that. It's not a stupidity thing. That's not the problem. Your users aren't stupid. Most of them wouldn't be employed at your company if they were stupid. Um, it's, Again, it's psychology, and so. Uh, uh, but you can't you can't teach that. In a way, there's there's a reinforcement and an ask, right? Like you're saying, it, it's knowledge, it's psychology. But after a while, how many times does one have to get burned before? It, does it have to happen at least once to each person? Do you imagine? Uh, yes, I will. I will give you a hard, definitive answer. That's my opinion. And my opinion is yes. Uh, nobody learns, uh, nobody ga gains conscious vigilance until they've been burned. Everybody learns, everybody knows not to do it, but um, we all still have that same teenager mentality of it's not going to happen to me because what are the chances, et cetera. Stove is uh, not. Because statistically, yeah, it's not going to happen to you, but then somebody has to be that one that it happens to. And sometimes that one's you, but we, it's a it's a it's a psychological problem. We all think it's not going to be us, and we're not consciously thinking it's not going to be us. We're just we're not even paying attention to the concept of it. 
uh, until we get burned. And really, once you get burned on a long enough timeline, you're going to start, you're going to go back to it again. You're going to start thinking it's not going to happen to me twice. You're going to let your guard down and it's going to happen again. This is a flaw in human psychology. This is, this is a problem with us as animals. Uh, and it's being exploited left and right by hackers because uh, it's incredibly successful and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, I do see some techniques working somewhat. Um, uh, incentivizing reporting uh, works very well. Um, I've had, uh, you guys probably know Ben 10. He oh, yeah. has run some, uh, yeah, he has run some excellent, um, he's got great tales of, uh, security awareness going successfully when he has incentivized it. And just with like $5 Starbucks gift cards for successfully, you know, reporting something properly. He's got a great story about where, where he got paged out. Uh, he was the VP at uh, a company and he got paged out because somebody found a very suspicious looking little box tucked under underneath the counter next to his office door. And somebody was like, I don't know if it's a raspberry pie. I don't know if it's a pineapple. I don't know if it's a listening device, but it's a very suspicious looking box. And we wanted to page you out right away because our security awareness training told us to do that. Wow. And the only reason they really, yeah. And the, and the reason they paid attention to the security awareness training is because there was prizes, there were giveaways. Like you, you successfully reported something real. Here's five bucks. Go get a coffee. Uh, and, he gets, and so he gets paged out. He comes into work. He ta- he picks it up. Take, they take a look at it. And it was an ant trap. <laughs> like for catching insects. Bugs, but that's how well his program worked because he incentivized it. Yeah. <laughs> He was, it was, you know, the wrong kind of bug. But, but was, there, yeah. was there email that could tell you about winning a $5 gift card if you click here to tell him about the, never mind. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the, the point there was, um, and the only thing I've seen that really increases the effectiveness of security awareness training is incentivization. Um, another, uh, Michael Smith, Dr. Barisak wrote, I believe he wrote his master's white paper on that as well. Um, and he's, he's, he has statistics up and down to, to prove that fact. But like a lot of companies don't have that kind of money. I mean, if you got 3000 employees and you figure may at least, even if you only give one gift card to each employee once, like in a year, that's you're asking for $15,000 of literally cash to hand to employees for instance, incentivize a thing that's really hard to prove it's going to, if it's going to be effective or not. And it's just really hard for companies to, you know, get that squared away in the budget because everything in the budget has to be justified. You have to make sure that you're not frivolously spending anything. Uh, if you want money for something, you have to come up with so many numbers to prove that you're going to get an ROI on that money uh, immediately. And security is already looked, looked at disdainfully as far as ROI goes because we're, we're a loss leader. We don't, security does not make money for a company. You know, marketing makes money for a company. Uh, and you, you, we have the, the negative we're always trying to prove of, uh, hey, you know, without us, you would have been compromised and lost everything. And they say, oh, oh really? Could, where's, do you have, can you prove that? Where's the evidence of that? And you go, well, there's no, we don't, we don't have evidence. So you, you can't prove a negative. And so that's, that's the eternal bane of security is trying to convince people to give us the money we need with no evidence that that money will ever help anything. And it's just a terrible, terrible place to be in. So let's try to switch a little bit of gears rather than concentrating on people and organizations. Let's just go people and the government. 
specifically the American government and specifically there, do you see any issues with the right to hack movement and the relation of free speech and digital communications with our new changes in the White House? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's something I'm emotionally struggling with on a daily basis, uh, especially right now. Uh, I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm currently elbows deep in uh, a project with Cydragon of, you know, the United Airplane fame, um, where we're trying to get in, uh, in indemnity and NDAs from uh, corporations because uh, we, I, I found something uh, very significant with, and I'm sorry, I have to be vague because we could all get in a lot of trouble and we're trying to make sure that doesn't happen yet. We're trying to do everything the right way. Um, I, I found a very huge flaw in something that affects um, literally the lives of, of uh, travelers. You know, it, it could very well be deadly in the wrong hands. And uh, because of how poorly written the CFAA is uh, and how pretty much any hacks involving critical infrastructure in this country are just automatically treated as terrorism or treason. Like we're, we're literally, you know, you have hackers facing the death sentence in worst case, extreme scenarios right. uh, or simply un uncovering a flaw and trying to show everyone that uh, this is a problem because uh, it, it, we, uh, we pick on people like Charlie Miller and the like for pulling off stunt hacks and saying like, Oh, you're just trying to, uh, look cool and get famous for pulling off crazy stunt hacks. Um, and yeah, granted, like if you're pulling off stunt hacks and actually putting people's lives in danger, that's awful and you shouldn't do it. But um, sometimes the only way to get the gears moving and get things changed within a corporation or an entire type of infrastructure is to throw them up on the nine o'clock news and go, Hey, look how terrible this is. Let's get the court of public opinion behind them because we've already disclosed everything they need to know to make changes. We've shown them what's wrong. We have shown them how this like can get people killed. We have shown them what to do to fix it, but they're not willing to put forth the time and the money to fix it. Uh, and so they're saying, Hey, you know what? If somebody gets killed, uh, you know, the needs of the, the company outweigh the needs of uh, our few, you know, travelers or whatever. And that's, that's awful. And I just can't handle that. Um, but, uh, we're being repressed by, uh, not just this administration, but, but past administrations for sure. This has been going on for a very, very, very long time. Um, and not just administrations, we're talking legal, like inappropriate legal precedents where, um, you know, back in the 90s, we used to go dumpster dive and pull out companies, you know, accounting records and just walk in the front door and go, hey, uh, I found these in your dumpster. Uh, I'd like to help you implement some changes here to make sure that doesn't happen and somebody bad doesn't, you know, exactly. get their hands on these. Or exactly. you, you were just, you know, surfing, poking around the Internet and we got into their accounting server and you printed out their accounting records. Walk in the front door and go, hey, this is really bad. I'm not a bad guy. I'd like to help you fix this. I just need to be compensated for my time, as anyone should be. But now that's called extortion. Now that's blackmail. Even if you had no malicious intent, uh, because there's so many legal precedents where people have been convicted of extortion for doing exactly that. Now none of us can do it anymore. And so, me as a security researcher, um, 
you know, that's, that's, that's a fancy word for just, you know, hobby, <laughs> hobby hacker. Uh, I I'm always doing things like this, like whatever I'm on a new network, I just, and you know, I'm sure I'm not supposed to, but, uh, <laughs> you go, hey, let's let's see what's out here. And and, the, and there was an old. I used to be a manager of a computer repair shop. I'm sure many of us have worked in computer repair shops. And uh, there was an old I, old phrase I used to tell all of my employees, which is, "Don't go looking for shit because you're gonna find it." And there was, you know, oh. don't poke around at people's computers because you know. And er, man, they never listened. And to go back to the phishing thing, it pretty much took only once for each of them. And then once it happened to them, once they found some shit, they stopped looking. Um, because some of that shit, you gotta, you gotta call the police and it takes up a lot of your day and someone's going to prison because of what you found. And it's great that you found it. Sure. But, um, people think that like security research is all cool. And when you find a new vulnerability, like, Oh man, you might even get on the news and you get a CVE and like, that's great resume fodder. Like there's a lot of garbage bureaucracy and paperwork involved when you find something. Uh, and then also if you find something significant and then didn't report it and something criminal happens with that finding and then somehow it gets traced back to that you knew about the finding and said nothing. Now you're an accomplice. Like it's a bad situation. So, so um, is the answer then it, to, it, to throw in and say, okay, hey, we want to share with people a real easy way to see if there is some naughty stuff on your own network so you can see, instead of saying, I'm going to show you how I found something, show people how to find stuff on their own networks that way. So that way it becomes their responsibility or does that, is that too complicated for people? No, that's fine. It's, um, you know, that's the rule, you know, don't access networks that you don't have permission to access. So pretty much only hack around on your own network or get permission. Um, and this goes all the way back to what we were talking about a while ago. Like most people's home networks are not uh, complicated enough to, to, to warrant anything. Like most people's home networks are pretty safe. They're pretty locked down. There's, there's you don't have enough traffic. Like um, you're not being targeted unless you're a significant, you know, unless you're a person of interest to some organization, you're probably not even being targeted, targeted um, for anything. So it's, it's really hard to do in your own home. Uh, there's uh, a, uh, a vocational school out here called um, Evolve Security Academy that does this really cool thing with their students where they partner with local nonprofits uh, who often don't have uh, any kind of IT staff or it's like one poor guy um, and they say, Hey, would you mind if uh, we let you let some of our security students um, take a look at your traffic and, and be your security operations center and kind of, you know, keep an eye out for things for you and do vulnerability scans on your network and things like that for free. Uh, and, you know, with the understanding that these are just students and we make no promises that we'll find everything. Um, but, uh, we need the real world experience and that goes really well. And I think that's really cool. It's just partnering with local nonprofits. So, um, I've started telling people to try doing that recently and I don't know how much success they've had. Um, but you're, you know, churches are great, uh, are great sources for that. If you happen to belong to like maybe, you know, one of those mega churches that might really have like a complicated internal network and they, but they don't have a security guy. They just got a couple of IT guys maybe saying, Hey, can I, you know partner up with you guys going to help you out 
um, you know, it's a great way to give back to your community, local community centers, your local government, maybe. Um, the, 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 you're right. The big problem is that like, our, our home networks just aren't complicated and noisy enough to really get any good experience out of. With this current battle we've seen in the news with car hackers and car manufacturers, uh, and you mentioned uh, motorcycle hacking earlier, do you see this as a possible dangerous uh, movement towards uh, products being left insecure uh, by manufacturers? Uh, they would then prosecute the hackers for their discoveries. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I really think that's just, just a continuation of the, the previous discussion. In that, um, you well, I you can't talk about car hacking and not IoT. Cars are IoT. That's that's the bottom line. Don't separate the two. It, it's, it's the Internet of Things. Anything that's on the Internet is a thing on the Internet. It's part of the Internet of Things. And now that Internet of Things includes vehicles. Um, and, and uh, yeah, we have a huge, huge, huge problem, uh, as evidenced by the Internet of Things, uh, in that you have manufacturers creating functionality without security. And that's, that's what happens when you have, say, uh, electrical and mechanical engineers um, designing something. Uh, that is going to then be pretty much left open to the world. Uh, it's 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 like creating. Gosh, I don't have a good a good analogy for this, but um, yeah, it's terrible. It's and it's because there's these are often veterans of the electromechanical uh, R and D world who have no security experience because they never had to have any security experience. You know, security to them was well, you put it in the box and then you put a lock on the box or you weld it shut. Uh, or whatever. Uh, and now they're welding the box shut and then, uh, you know, sticking, you know, then carving a big armhole in the thing so you can reach in and do stuff anyway. And they don't realize that. Um, it's also, also part of the problem is that uh, a lot of these technologies, a lot of the software that's running on these IoT devices is being designed overseas um, and, or forget overseas even, it's just being designed by a separate company. And so company A, uh, to not pick on any particular car company. So the car company tells software company, hey, we need software to run in our car. And here's the features that it needs to have. And here's how the, it, we need to be able to communicate with it. Thanks. And then software company designs it to the letter, gives it back. The car company looks at it all and tests it and goes, yep, this does everything that we asked for. Thank you. We're done here. They do no security testing of any kind. They don't have, uh, you know, an app tester come poke at it. They don't do a secure code review on these things. The, and these things cost money, you know, a secure code review, an app tester. It costs a lot of money to pay those people to come through and do these things. And then what happens is those people find things. And then when they find those things, now you as a car company know that there's something bad in there. And so you have to go and then go back to the software company and say, hey, we need these things fixed. And that's going to cost you money because that software company did exactly what you said. It's not like there's a warranty and they provided you with a, with a broken product. It's that you didn't ask for the security in the first place. And so now you've got to pay for it. Uh, and so oftentimes they don't even do that. Uh, but in the first place, they don't even do the review. They just make sure the software works. They put it on the vehicle and they, they push it out onto the road. And that's, that's the same with pretty much anything else internet of things that's out there it's not just vehicles it's literally anything it, that's the process um, and so then you've got 
like I was saying before, the problem of, well, like, so I, as a researcher, uh, find this vulnerability. And so I can't just go to Ford and say, hey, here's this vulnerability in this car. Uh, it's going to allow me to do X, Y, Z. It's going to allow me to apply the brakes um, anytime I want remotely. Ford's going to go, uh, can you prove it? And then I go, well, no, I can't prove it. Uh, because that requires a violation of the CFAA because I would have to violate generally, you know, it's, it's unauthorized computer access. Um, I would have to bypass certain security measures. And as soon as you do that, you're violating CFAA. Uh, so I would need you to uh, allow me to do that. Uh, and I would need all of that paperwork that's involved in that. And these, these companies don't want to get involved in that. They say, no, no, thank you. And especially when you go, I'd also like to be compensated for the time I'm taking to help you do this. They're like, forget it. Like nobody's interested in that. And so they're, they're very, very much interested in remaining ignorant to the situation because it means even if it does end up coming out later and causing a lot of problems, they get to claim ignorance versus having to do a recall and fix every single person's car. Uh, and that's the old, you remember from Fight Club, where they do the math of, you know, how many deaths, lawsuits due to death versus the cost of a recall and which one do we do business. Um, and so uh, that's, that's exactly what we're seeing is, is researchers uh, who are doing it on their own are definitely not being legally protected. Uh, they're just being treated as any other hacker. They're being treated. It, malicious intent is it not only assumed, it's applied. Uh, so as soon as you, you know, bypassed that, as soon as you, uh, you know, uh, exploited shell shock on uh, something inside of that car in order to get into a core system, um, you violated the CFAA. You've broken the law. You're facing up about five years in prison because of that, even though you had no malicious intent, even though your intent was not to throw somebody's brakes on while they're on the highway and kill a bunch of people. Soon as you bypass that security measure, you're, you've committed a federal offense. And that's, that's the core of the problem right there. We're being prevented from even being able to do any kind of research on our own, even if we wanted to do it for free, we're still not allowed to. And combine that with the fact that these companies are not doing anything internally to have uh, these security measures tested, and you've got a huge problem. And some of them are now. Like, I actually know for a fact that Ford definitely has a red team that, that does security checks on its uh, IoT vehicles, uh, and I didn't mean to call them out for that. But uh, as, as a whole, this is the huge problem we're facing in this country. So you're, you're talking about uh, first rule of fight club, what have you. Um, are you saying that uh, bug bounty is uh, definitely a good thing, especially, you know, I'm, I'm looking also some, for some more uh, meat on why you're calling a car IoT device. Are you um, mentioning uh, the, a lot of the vehicles that are directly connected to the internet through cellular modems these days, uh, what have you, and just having very intelligent car controllers, navigation systems, what have you? Yeah, I mean, if it, if your car's on the internet, it's a thing that's on the internet, and it's an internet of things. If it's got an IP address and it accepts, you know, inbound communications for whatever reason, that's it. That's all you need. It's that I'm I'm throwing that in the IoT bucket with everything else that falls under those those same regards. You know, I know when we say IoT, we think you know tea kettles, and you know, uh, 
crockpots and things like that. But uh, I think that that is giving vehicles, it's giving the important things a pass and we need to stop giving it a pass. It's, I, I see no reason to not include vehicles in the internet of things. It's exactly what's going on. If I can break into your car uh, simply by knowing its IP address, uh, what's the difference? It's a thing on the internet. And so it, you know, the, I guess we're calling internet of things like, oh, well, you've got to know you're talking more SCADA controls and things like that. Okay. But that's all happening inside of cars too. What was, what was the other half of that question? <laughs> Sorry. I was also talking about, uh, you know, you had mentioned, um, the whole fight club math problem. It made me then, uh, almost say, so what's the first rule of bug bounty club? Because, uh, it seems like, uh, these guys that are putting the manufacturers just not to put any names or any brands. Um, they've been really bad about, you know, even putting out a bug bounty that's worth any hackers. I, I mean, I love that they do any bug bounty rather than no bug bounty. Uh, the big problems I'm seeing with bug bounties is, is uh, a, the company is not um, offering bug bounties on the important aspects of things. Um, they're heavily limiting the scope of what you're allowed to exploit in order to prove that there's a problem. Um, that's, gosh, that's always, that's even a problem with just penetra penetration testers in general is your client just gives you too narrow of a scope and you go, this isn't realistic. Like you're trying to protect yourself from actual bad guys. Bad guys don't have a scope. Bad guys don't respect the, oh, hey, uh, please don't touch these servers. They're important. Those are the first servers they're going to touch. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's probably the number one problem I see in the bug bounties is scope limitation. Um, two, it's that, uh, yeah, the payouts are garbage. A lot of the time uh, it's subjective. So they'll have these payout tiers uh, where they say like for this level of uh, an exploit, we'll pay you this much for medium level exploit this much. And they just subjectively decide what's a severe exploit and, you know, what's what's not. A few of the companies are really good about it. But overall, uh, that's a terrible problem. And so it's scaring people off. You know, you'll spend 80 hours uh, trying to break into something and you finally do it and you hit them up and you submit that bug bounty and they go, uh, thanks, we've been able to confirm this. Uh, we feel that this is a low level vulnerability. So here's your $100 for your 80 hours of work. Thanks. Keep, up, keep it up. Um, does that encourage you to keep it up? A hundred bucks for 80 hours? No, that's far below minimum wage. Um, and uh, yes, that's, that's a huge problem that's going out there. Uh, a lot of companies don't even offer bug bounties. That's gargantuan. Like whenever I find a vulnerability, it's, it's a major company. Uh, I immediately go start looking to see, well, do you have bug bounties? Is there a proper way that I can you know, start filing this? I'm not even trying to make any money, just trying to properly dis disclose through the channels that they have set up. And like they often just have nothing out there. Um, it's uh it's a terrible scene i don't uh i really don't know anyone who uh, is making a living wage just on bug bounties i know plenty of people who make a lot of money doing them but the amount of hours they sink into them is, i question as to whether it's worth their time or not um and so it's yeah it's it's problematic uh, it's a great way to learn for sure um you're going to spend a long time accomplishing nothing like you have to be very self-motivated if you're going to be doing bug bounties because uh it's like hitting the lotto you're almost always gonna you know uh, end up with failure because a lot of companies don't they don't do bug bounties um 
right out of the gate. They do it after they're they're at a maturity level where they're they're fairly confident in their own security that they're ready to like hire the public to come in and start breaking into crap. Um, a lot of companies who do bug bounties uh, do it because they don't have the funding to actually pay a real penetration testing firm to come in and do a proper penetration test. So they go, ah, we'll just do a bug bounty. And then you just got to pay everyone like hundred bucks. It's way cheaper than the, yeah, it's crowdsourced penetration testing. It's a lot of us penetration testers are put off by that. Like that's, that's, you know, it's a, it's a cheapo garbage route. And like, by no means, and I, I rarely see a bug bounty out there. That's, you know, a legitimate penetration test of any sort. Usually it's just like, Hey, can you deface this website? Or, you know, here's, here's these four IPs that you're allowed to exploit. And you're like, well, no, I can't get into those four, but with this fifth one that you own, I can get into that. And then I can get into the other four from there. Uh, but that's out of scope. And so there's, you're not allowed to do that. Now you're a criminal. Now uh, that's a violation of the CFAA. It's uh, terrible things like that going on out there. Well, I appreciate you taking so much. Actually, not I. We appreciate how much time you've given us and shared today. And I was just curious, what are some ways that folks can keep up with your work and projects? And I'm going to throw one more question in after that. But what is the impact you want to leave on the security community? Kind of uh, the first thing you want to pop up if someone was to search on your name. But, but more of that, just tell us how we can keep up with you and kind of see what you're up to. Sure. Um, keeping up with me is easy. Um, I, I'm constantly yelling at the internet on Twitter. Um, I'm at, uh, at Johnny Xmas with a zero and a four. So it's uh, at J zero H N N Y X M four S. Uh, I've, I don't know. I feel like I've got 15,000 tweets out there that are probably terrible, but, uh, that's, that's where I put everything that I'm doing. Uh, I got a pinned tweet up there that shows all of my appearances throughout the year. I think I've got like 15 appearances booked so far, which is really cool. Uh, a lot around the Chicago area, which is nice because I haven't done much around the Chicago area, even though I live here. Uh, so yeah, by by far, Twitter's the best way to get hold of me. Um, as far as impact, I want to leave on the community. Um, I don't feel like I have the pretension of having a desire to leave any sort of impact. <laughs> um, I I I just. Whatever I'm doing, I'm doing naturally. I'm just doing it because I feel like that's what I want to do. Um, I really like helping people get into a better position. Um, you know, I grew up in a very blue collar world and I've had a lot of really smart friends who, you know, you just got to fight to make a buck because you're really good at something that doesn't pay anything. And uh, a lot of us, we're good at computers because we were just nerds and our dads were mechanics. And so we were really good at fixing cars, but we also thought this computer thing was kind of cool. Uh, and so we come from this blue collar world, but also have a computer knowledge. And I, I really feel like I'm trying to help people kind of bridge that gap and kind of infiltrate the corporate realm and the information security realm, the IT realm and say like, Hey, we're, we're all really smart. We just, we didn't have the social tools at our disposal to be able to, you know, get in here and start making a, a difference. And we're all very valuable, valuable and can make a difference here. And we're just not viewed as that. And so I'm trying to help people kind of just, like I said, all the way to the beginning is bridge that gap. And so if I had to make, like leave my mark, I would hope it would be that kind of helping people bridge the gap into the corporate realm so that 
they could they could have better lives for themselves and really uh, be used for their full potential uh, like they need to be. Do you have any final uh, questions or comments for us? Uh, both to, this is directed to the host and to you, Johnny. Uh, no, I, I do not. This is really fun. Um, I hope I didn't ramble too much. You got, you touched on a lot of things that I have some very uh, emotional connections to, and that was really cool. This is a, this is a great podcast. I like doing it. Thanks a lot. No, thank you. Anything you would like to add, Pinky? No, I'm just baffled. You know, I'm pretty early on starting out my career and just hearing the, I guess, progress from when you started to today and all the different issues has been eye-opening. And I've just, I know I should have participated more, but I've just been in awe for this whole time. And this has been I, you know, I also do, I, I guess I should also plug, um, I've, I've got a YouTube channel out there um, that, you know, maybe I'll, I'll throw that up on my, my Twitter profile. I have just about all of my talks up there. Um, some of which weren't even done at security conferences. They were done at other conferences. And there's a lot of stuff up there that, that focuses on career building and communications and socializing and making friends. Um, there's a really cool talk I got up there uh, that I called, I believe I called it something like hacking in the 90s, where it actually goes through like way back in the olden days and like where I came from. And I start with like hacking cable TV in the 80s and just kind of move all the way into today. That's cool. Um, to me, like I, I point a lot of people at that. So they go, well, how did, how did you get started as a penetration tester? And I go, well, let me tell you about the eighties. <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of overwhelming, but yeah, I've got some cool talks out there. So go check, check out my YouTube channel. I'm, I'm updating my Twitter profile right now and I'll, I'll throw it. And is it, it, is it still Johnny Xmas or, or is there a special way they have to spell or look for it? Uh, I, gee, and YouTube, I don't even think I have like a custom URL. This is only something I started promoting recently. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'll, I'll kick you a link over and you could put it in the shout outs, uh, but it's got my logo on it. So you'll know it when you find it. But I think the best way is just go to my Twitter profile and you'll see it in the description there. Cool. I got to give a big shout out to, to Johnny and also very much to the, the DM podcast folks. Thank you so much for allowing uh, us to guest host today and participate. It's been a lot of fun and uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, definitely uh, look for uh, more from Security Endeavors from Sciatic Nerd. Nice little plug for him as he is, he's been doing this for a bit, talking to different security professionals and finding out how they got into security. This is actually the first episode that Dangerous Minds has delved into network security. But as it being a love of my heart, I, I'm definitely uh, going to proceed with more episodes like this but definitely a special thanks to johnny and christmas for taking the time to talk to us today if you'd like to know more about this journey we take weekly check out dangerousminds.io and all of us want to thank you our listeners for joining us as we further explore the tech the tools and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of hackers developers lock sporters today uh, please feel free to reach out to us with questions, comments, you're welcome to find us at DangerousMinds.io, our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Dangerous Minds Podcast, and perhaps one day we'll talk to you about the work and our projects you're exploring and are developing. Until next week, seek the spark. Scientific progression is steamrolling, there's no preventing it going ahead. Now we're intrinsically linked with technology, biology as we 